Are you looking to optimize your performance, grow your mind, and change your system? Well, you've come to the right place. I'm Brad Baker. And I'm Tom Broback. And, and this, this is the Bold Base Performance Podcast. Hello, friends. Welcome to the show. Today's guest is Josh Bonital. Josh is a founding member of the fitness app Future. Among other experiences he's had in his life, he's been a strength coach for the Chicago Bulls and Purdue men's basketball. He has worked with great strength coaches like Mike Boyle and Cal Dietz as well. Josh has a brilliant mind with a work ethic to match. I thoroughly enjoy this conversation with Josh and think you'll take away a lot on how to be successful in your career, whether you are starting out mopping floors or running a team of bright coaches. Before we get to the show, I just want to remind you the Bold Base Performance Athletes with Asthma course is live. This course covers everything from 7-Eleven breathing to figuring out what type of tiger mindset you have to explain key concepts and training for speed and power. Check out the link in the show notes for more. Let's continue to grow the mind and change the system. Let's yeah. just start with how you first got interested in strength and conditioning. It's kind of a field where a lot of people are, you know, they grow up as athletes, they start working yeah. out, they see that it helps them, and then they want to help other people with that. Did you have a similar story or do you have something completely different? Yeah. So, um, I mean, for me, you know, I grew up a small town in Wisconsin called Lake Geneva. It's about an hour and a half north of Chicago and I grew up right in the heart of the Jordan year. So, you know, I was a, I was a diehard Bulls fan. Um, and so, you know, my, my life honestly revolved around basketball. Like, you know, if, if I wasn't playing basketball, I was watching basketball, I was reading about it. I was, you know, anything and everything I could do to, to kind of play basketball. And then, you know, obviously trying to figure out how I could get better. Um, and so, you know, I, I think, um, you know, first of all, I was that kid where you couldn't tell me any different. Like I was going to play for the Bulls one day, um, you know, and and probably not probably I did hold on to that dream like way, way, way too long. Like, but I was, you know, at least smart enough to kind of have a backup plan. And um, for me, it just it became natural because you know, as, as early as like grade school, I was going to the YMCA every single day, um, in my hometown and just, you know, more or less, it was my second home. I was spending hours and hours there. Um, so, you know, even in like, I was probably in like fifth grade, I was like sneaking into the weight room and like using all the, like at the time Nautilus machine, like I had no idea what I was doing, but like, I was just, sure. you know, put, you know, stick the the pin in whatever weight and, you know, try to be a hero kind of thing as a little fifth grader. And, you know, I was going out, um, running like, you know, three, four five miles, same thing, you know, grade school, middle school, thinking it was going to get me in better shape, uh, for basketball. Like, obviously, you know, you look back, it's like everything I did through, middle school, high school, all that. It's like, man, I worked so hard and I did all the dumbest stuff ever. Cause I had no idea, you know? Um, but you know, I think I, along the way I fell in love with the process of kind of training and, you know, working to get better and develop and, 
Um, you know, and then I, I, I kind of found out that this was a real job. Like it was actually something that, you know, you could do. And, and it was another way in, so to speak with, you know, the NBA and the bulls. And so I think fortunate for me, you know, it was late high school, early college. I already knew that, you know, if by like some chance of bad luck, I didn't play for the bulls, you know, cause of course I was still holding on to that dream. Um, and I wasn't a very good basketball player, by the way. So it wasn't like it was, you know, but anyways, um, you know, that was, that was kind of my way in. So I started to really study, um, who were all the people in positions that, you know, I would aspire to one day get to and what was their path. And, you know, I say this all the time, but success leaves clues, you know, and, and when you study, the journey of multiple successful people, um, you know, there's things that stand out, but there's also commonalities. And at the time I, I searched for, you know, what were some of the commonalities, whether it was, you know, places that they had maybe interned or worked early in their careers or, you know, resources, you know, things like that. Um, and that just led me down this path through, high school and college where, you know, I was just seeking out anybody and everybody um, that, you know, knew more than I did, which honestly was everybody it was like, you know, just go to the YMCA, who are the strongest people in there? Let me just go bug them and like ask them a bunch of questions. And, you know, they're all like, like none of them were actually trainers, like they, like, you know, the construction workers or painters or, you know, mm-hmm. businessmen like and women and, you know, and just bug them, ask them questions, learn from them. Um, but just kind of the, you know, every, every person you meet, um, can open up doors for you and, and introduce you to new people, teach you new things. Every opportunity, you know, obviously is, is a chance if, if you take advantage of it, it can open up doors for you. So, you know, was able to kind of craft that path where, um, throughout college, just, you know, going and, either observing people, shadowing, you know, different internships, stuff like that. One thing kind of led to another. And, you know, by the, by my last year of undergrad, um, I was a student assistant with all the teams at Wisconsin. Um, and, and like, they didn't, they didn't have an internship program. So that came out of, you know, me literally beating their door down for three years straight, like, like not taking, like they'd always, it was Scott Hedenbach was the the basketball strength coach at the time. So he was like gracious enough. He'd, he'd have me come in to, to see one of their sessions with basketball. And every single time at the end of the session, I'd always ask him like, Hey, is there any way, you know, I can volunteer for you? Like, you know, I'll clean the weight room. I'll get your coffee. I'll, you know, get your dry cleaning. Like I'll, I'll go like scrub the toilets if you want. Like, like, I don't care if I can just be in here. Um, and every single time he said no, but every single time he also said, you know, if you ever want to come back, observe another session, just let me know. So every couple months I would do that. And, and the cycle would just repeat, like I'd watch the session, I'd, I'd come at it a new way to ask, like, you know, if I could hang around more every time he said no. Um, and then finally fast forward the spring before my last, uh, before my last year, um, of undergrad at Wisconsin, I had managed to get my way in with an internship with, um, with, uh, international performance Institute at IMG academies down in Florida. So that was kind of like 
my first big break. Um, and, and again, that was one where I just like, I didn't even know who to, who to contact or if they had an internship, I went on their website and I emailed like 20 different people. Like, like I, I emailed like probably the, the like GM or, you know, whoever's in charge of all of IMG academies down to like just various coaches and, you know, and then, uh, thankfully Dave Donatucci, who was the director at the time, um, you know, actually followed up with me, interviewed and, and ended up there. But anyway, so once I got accepted for that, then, you know, I, I sort of came up with my scheme once again, let me go, you know, uh, shadow a session with Scott and, um, you know, and I, and I let him know, I was like, Hey, I just got this internship, you know, I'd love to come in and, and check out a session, but also kind of learn from you. Um, how can I, um, you know, I have probably still two months until I head out there. What can I do to, to prepare, to put myself in the best position once I get there to really take advantage of this opportunity. And then once I am there, how can I every single day make the most of the opportunity, you know? And so again, Scott, let me come in. We, you know, shout out the session. We talked about all that. And then once again, for like the 20th time or however many times I was like, Hey, by the way, um, you know, I have to do a, uh, a practicum to graduate next year. And, you know, I was hoping that there was a way that, you know, I could do it with you. And, and he was basically, he, he used a little bit of profanity, but you know, in, in like a joking lighthearted manner, but he was like, sure. he was like, Josh, if it means you'll leave me the, you know, alone, <laughs> like, yes, like, yes, I, like just quit asking, you know? And so, um, but it was out of that and it was out of kind of that persistence. Um, and he even told me later, he's like, Josh, it's, it's university of Wisconsin. It's Wisconsin basketball. Like I get blown up by people all the time, just like you that, you know, they want to come in, they want to, you know, they want to volunteer, they want to do whatever. He was like, you know, most people, they might follow up a second time. Very few follow up a third. He was like, you just wouldn't leave me alone for like three years. He was like, so like, I have to say yes. Um, but then the beauty of it was because they didn't have an internship program at the time, um, it was sort of free reign. It was, it, it was him, Mike Potenza, and Brian Miller were the three coaches that uh, I ended up working uh, under during that time. And they just gave me as much responsibility as I showed that I was capable of. And so as a student, like I'm literally the same age and, and especially the, like our hockey team, which both men and women actually won, won the national title that year. But the, the men in particular, they're all older than me. Cause most of them, like they go to juniors right. for a few years and then they come to college. So, you know, I'm like, I'm like 21, 22 and, and I'm, I'm coaching these guys that are, you know, 25, 26 that I also have class with. Um, but you know, I, I, because it wasn't formalized, um, I was able to do a lot more than, than kind of your standard quote unquote intern. Um, and I also ended up having like six or seven different teams where they just handed them over to me, like tennis, golf, swimming, diving, you know, all that. Like I'm a student, I'm literally a fifth year undergrad and I'm running, like I'm running their program. No one else is in the weight room. I'm coaching them. I'm making all the adjustments, you know, all that stuff. Um, but then out of that, the, those guys, Scott, Brian, and, and Mike Potenza, 
Um, they all knew my boss uh, with the Bulls really well, Eric Holland. Um, and so it was through that that they kind of opened up the door for me, you know, to 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 kind of end up there. So that was like my, you know, kind of like full full circle moment of, you know, I didn't obviously I didn't get there as a player, but you right. know, I managed to kind of find another way in. A common theme in that in that story in that process seems to be you found an opportunity. And then you found a way to provide value beyond what mm-hmm. that opportunity expected or asked of you. Yeah. Do you yep. see that in everything that you've done in your life, whether it's training for basketball, yeah, you know, working in Wisconsin, doing what you're doing now? Do you find that you always try to exceed the expectations and opportunity given or even there for you? Yeah. I, I mean, you know, I think I think ideally um, that's what you know, that's what you're trying to do. Um, you know, I think early, early on, you know, one of the things that, that really helped kind of set me apart to, to be able to have, you know, some of those different opportunities. One, it was relationships. So the foundation of everything is relationships. The only reason, you know, the, the, the only reason I ended up getting in with, um, with Wisconsin, um, was, you know, kind of through, through class and through playing basketball at the Korak, I ended up, uh, becoming good friends with, um, with a guy who was, um, he was one of the student managers for the basketball Mm -hmm. team at the time. And, um, and I didn't just like ask him as soon as I found out, but like over time we built a relationship, we built a friendship. He also kind of saw what I was about. He saw, you know, like how hard I worked, how serious I was about, you know, what I wanted to do. And so it was after a period of like, we'd probably known each other at least like several months by, by that point where I was like, Hey, by the way, you know, like, is there any way you could introduce me, um, to Scott, who was, you know, the basketball strength coach at the time. Um, and he said, yes, you know, and, and he, so it was like, even, even my initial, um, kind of foot in the door with Scott was, you know, it was a warm introduction, but then from there, like I followed up, I was persistent and I followed through, you know, like Scott would tell me to do different stuff or to read something or like, and I always, always did it, you know, and then I, and then I would follow up to show like, you know, either my appreciation or like what I had learned, or I would ask a question about the thing he told me to go and do. Like, even before I ended up, he ended up, um, saying yes to me finally he um for the year prior to that and this was after quite a bit of persistence he was like hey like we don't have interns over here at the Cole center um but football does so talk to you know he gave me um the he gave me the the director of the entire you know program and director of football his contact at the time so i had a i had a warm intro there I emailed him. It was one of those where you could tell like this guy's just super busy. So he was like, he responded back, CC'd me with his assistant. He was like, my assistant is who, you know, um, kind of handles this. And, um, so then I, so then I just wore that guy out and, and like, he, he, um, he kept like kind of pushing back, pushing back, like when, when we could meet. So I asked Scott about it. I'm like, I'm like, Hey, like, you know, I've, I've tried to get a hold of this guy, whatever, multiple times. And Scott's like, he's like, just go over there. He's like, go over there on, 
Uh, oh, even before that, no, that's what happened. Even before that, I I I showed up and 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 um, I showed up and handed him my resume in person. I didn't try to take any of his time, but I showed up because I wanted him to be able to put a face to the name. I showed up, handed my resume, you know, and just you know express my interest. Um, and then, but then after that, it was like you know, kind of the follow up. <laughs> and Scott actually, he told me he was like. He was like, just go over there on Wednesday. They don't train at all. He's got plenty of time. Just pop in. And um, and I remember like I I I sent the guy an email um saying, like, hey, um, you know, talk to Scott. He told me to swing by tomorrow because like, you know, you guys aren't training, whatever. And the guy hadn't responded to any of my emails in like two months. He responded to that one in like two minutes and was like, unfortunately Scott does not understand the complexities of my schedule, you know, like tomorrow's it. And I'm like, okay, whatever. But right. it was like, Scott saw that, like, like I had done everything he had told me to do everything mm-hmm. he asked me to do. And then it's just like, for whatever reason, it, it wasn't working there. And, um, and I still remember my, my first day that next fall when I, when I worked, um, you know, first day I came in with Sky, I'm thinking, you know, we're just, I'm probably going to observe a couple sessions, whatever. And, and I get there, he was like, all right, we have, um, we have women's tennis coming in first. We have men's tennis after that. Um, I got something with basketball. So you're going to run it. He was like, are you, you know, he showed me their cars. Like, are you familiar with this? I'm like, you know, there are a few things terminology wise, but I'd never met any of the players never met the coach, never met any of it. Again, I'm a student and um, he just threw me into the fire. And, you know, I think that was part of it was like, I just responded and, you know, I was able to deliver. But the other thing was like anticipating, you know, what he needed, how he wanted things done, not necessarily how I would do it all the time, but like how it was his program. So how did he want it done? And, you know, it was just even little stuff like, you know, we're going through a workout with, say, basketball um, as they're finishing up, you know, one kind of uh, uh, group of exercises. I'd already be having like the next station set up without him asking, you know, and just anticipating. Yeah. Um, and that was something like with the Bulls. That's that's what allowed me to, to turn that from, um, you know, an internship to ultimately becoming the assistant was because like Eric would turn around to ask me to do something and he'd look and he'd be like, Oh, you're already on it. You know, like I took the time to really understand how they wanted things done and anticipate, you know, and be proactive. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I think, I think that's, that's a huge part of it, but again, it's, you know, it's, it, it was all like rooted in building relationships along the way. And I talk about, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of, um, you know, in building these relationships, you're planting seeds and you're planting seeds by, um, to me being a giver. Like if you, you know, especially Adam Grant's work, he talks about, um, givers, takers, and matchers being kind of, you know, oversimplifying it, but the three types of people in this world. And, you know, I think when you approach life as a giver, which means you do whatever you can, whenever you can, because you can to help someone else, um, and, and you're not expecting anything in return. It's not tit for tat. It's not, you know, you owe me one down the line, you know, even if it's implicit, like I'm going to call in this favor. 
It's just, you know, I can help you. So I'm going to do it. Um, but life has a funny way of working out where that comes back around. And I think where, you know, oftentimes people maybe get discouraged or they get disheartened is because, you know, maybe it doesn't come back around like right away. Right. Um, but you know, now being, you know, I feel old saying this, but like, I'm, I'm nearly when you consider like, cause I started working at the YMCA, like, you know, late high school, early college, you know, and that was kind of the start of my journey. Um, and volunteering and that is close to 20 years now. There's a lot of stuff that I've seen where it's like, I planted these seeds 10 years ago. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you know, something comes along where now this person can help me, and they go out of their way to to help me. And or like, you know, eventually, you you know, because you do and this, I, I think this has been a hard thing for me to learn is like, to to ask for help. You know, I, like I always, I'm like, I, I like, I don't want to, I don't want to bother this, but you know, I want to, I want to add value to them. I want to help them. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want them to think like, I just want, you know, and so I think, um, you know, I think I've also learned over time to ask for help, but it's kind of like that whole thing of like, if you talk to someone 10 times, you know, and nine, nine of those 10 times you're, you're adding value or you're, you know, you're trying to help them or you're just checking in on them or whatever. And then maybe the 10th time, um, you say, Hey, actually, you know, I'm working on this really cool thing. Um, you know, I could really use your help or, you know, there's this person I know, you know, like, you know, would you mind connecting us? Um, you know, I think, I think that's, that's the other part of it is just sort of, you know, balancing, balancing that out. Any healthy relationship is going to have some give and take. And if you're always taking Mm -hmm. or always giving, that is unhealthy and unnecessary. So I think it's good to find that balance. When you were at Wisconsin, did you ever question yourself? Why am I doing this? Is this going to pay off? Is this all worth it? I think it's really hard when you're at that point in your journey or at the state for a coach to understand Hey, in 20 years, this will pay off. I just need to show yeah. up every day, best effort. Did you ever question right. yourself on that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, there there were a lot of other things while I was at Wisconsin. So even even just kind of my journey, like like I started out my um, my very first year, um, I, I went to Winona State in, in Minnesota, um, and, <laughs> and honestly, because I I was like. like I didn't take school seriously throughout high school. Like I I was that kid where I was like, I was probably too smart for my own good in some ways where I was like, my high school grades don't matter. I can get into a college somewhere and then I can just work hard for one semester and I can transfer anywhere. Cause in reality, that's how it works. Like basically you get in somewhere, go ahead, like get straight A's for one semester and then transfer. And and so like, that's actually, that's what I did. Um, And, uh, so, so, you know, my first year I was at Winona, um, and kind of actually did try to get in, um, with the teams there. It just didn't pan out, um, transferred to Wisconsin and, you know, kind of latched on to the kinesiology program, which there is like a really, really competitive program. So the first two years that I was at Wisconsin, you know, like I busted my ass academically, um, to like make the grades and everything I needed to do to, to get into that program. 
along the way, I built a couple really key relationships. One with um, uh, one of the professors in the kinesiology program who became like my biggest mentor. Right as soon as I got accepted to that program, he he told me point blank in like a heart to heart. He was like, Josh, for what you want to do, Wisconsin is not the right place for you. He was like, you need to transfer like this program. He was like, you're you won't you won't learn anything from this program, like everything that you've done already specific to your career. Um, you could teach most of these classes. And so it was like it was like a really disheartening thing to like work wow. so hard to get into this program that I thought like that was going to kind of be, you know, that was going to be my way in and my path um, to get me there. And, you know, he just, he, he, he kind of, you know, told me pretty strong advice. He was like, I want what's best for you. You need to transfer. So I looked around at some other programs um, and found at the time, Florida's program stood out to me and I was like, and their athletics, I mean, that was right before they were winning the national titles in basketball and football. Right. Um, and so I was like, okay, that's like the perfect mix. I applied, I got accepted there. Um, and I was all set. Like I thought I was transferring to Florida, but along the way, it was like, I had built this relationship with this professor who'd become a huge mentor to me. Like we were spending time outside of, like I would train with him at 6 a.m you know, every day. Mm -hmm. And, and I didn't like, I'm not a morning person. I only did it because it was an hour that I could just learn from him that I could, you know, um, and, and I was miserable every day getting up to do it, but you know, I did it. Um, I had also built a relationship, um, with the person who ran the, the co-rec and I kind of talked my way into not only a job, but they were running a, um, a, uh, personal training course for the first time ever where it was like, and, and like, it was highly competitive to even get into that course. And so the only people that they let into it were people who'd already worked at the Corec for like three years. And I just, again, like I just beat down his door, beat down his door until finally he made an exception to add one more spot and, and let me in like at the same time I was hired. So like other people were pissed, you know, because like they tried to get in, they couldn't. I didn't even work there yet. And I got in. Um, and so like, I had just done that. I had just built kind of those relationships. Um, and, you know, I think that was the thing where it was like, you know, it was it ended up being a pretty big crossroads for me because academically it probably made more sense for me to go to Florida, but at the same time I had no relationships there, you know, like, and right. like I had spent two and a half years building these relationships, opening these doors at Wisconsin. Um, so I chose to take the bet instead and, and, and actually go against my, you know, the advice of, of my professor and in large part because of him, because it was like, well, I have a relationship with you and you're here. So one, one way or another, we'll figure this out. Now I've built this other relationship and I think I had just got introduced to, um, to Scott. So mm -hmm. it was like, okay, I'm going to bet on myself here. Um, and it's not even about the the education and, you know, it, <laughs> it was bad. Cause then I went back into like high school me and stopped going to classes altogether. I was like, I was like, all I got to do is like pass, you know, and that was it because I was spending all my time. I was at the library every night, but I wasn't studying for class. I was reading about strength and conditioning. I was studying 
you know, stuff for whether it be CSCS or, you know, um, stuff for my personal training uh, certification at the time and, you know, stuff like that. So um, definitely, you know, definitely a lot of moments like that along the way. But I think in the end, I've always really kind of fallen back on, you know, relationships, you know, and, and, um, you know, people who I've, I've been fortunate to surround myself with and, and kind of doubling down on that. And then just, you know, kind of betting on myself as part of it. I have so many questions right now. The first one I want to ask, (laughs) you seem like you're someone who turns the dial way up on your strengths and what you perceive as importance. And you turn the burner as low as po- not off, but as low as possible at things where you perceive them as not important or not. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it is a weakness or just something that you don't need to get to where you're going. And that is very different than the overall message. I think most people get growing up, whereas you need to be very balanced and you need to work on yeah. your weaknesses and keep everything level. Yeah. Do you agree with that? Do you think your way has led you to more success than trying to balance everything or do you see it completely different? Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's a good way to, uh, of putting it. Um, you know, I think we, we all have our own way of, of finding success for me. It, it's something that has worked, um, worked really well. You know, I think there's a lot of things that I've done throughout my, my life and my career where, um, late, cause I read a lot. So later, like I'll read some stuff and I'll be like, oh, like I, I just kind of did some of that, you know, by default. Like one of the, one of the things I reference now is um, like David Epstein's book, Range, um, as well as um, before that, Robert Greene, Mastery, if, if you've read that. Um, but Robert Greene, he kind of talks about um, sort of the stages of, of like mentorship, I guess. So, you know, starting out in your in your career and kind of you're just you're finding your way, you're, you're sort of a mentee and, you know, eventually you kind of outgrow, uh, the mentor, then you become a mentor, you have mentees and you groom them to outgrow you. And then, you know, along the way though, you, you sort of where you can, um, you know, when you look at like really, really successful people, oftentimes what they've done is, is they haven't necessarily gone super, super deep in one specific topic area because it makes them too um you almost become too niche you're too much of an expert in just one thing right. which um you know and if you look at uh there's been all different types of of research with say like um solving you know like novel problems like problems that like all kinds of experts have have tried to solve and just can't solve it and then like you hear all these stories it'll be somebody that has like no subject matter expertise whatsoever on the thing. And they just come in and they're like, Oh, this is simple. Like connect that with that, with that. And like, here's your solution. Um, and, and David Epstein talks about it as well is like kind of, um, you know, this level of like having range, having, you know, maybe having a little more depth in certain things, but along the way, like build either your network and, and in terms of people or like the resources, like, like, where are you going to go if, different things, uh, kind of come up. And this is something I learned from, you know, Eric and Al as well with, with the bulls was like, 
anything that touched uh, human performance in any way, but either on the physical side or the psychological side, or, you know, even down to like neurodynamics or, you know, physiotherapy or like any of this stuff. Um, they knew all of it kind of, you know, at a minute. Well, and this is an undersell because both these dudes are like uh, off the charts, but in their mind, it was like, and compared to the, to the resources or the people they would go to, they knew it well enough to like understand and have the the conversation, ask the right questions. Um, but they kind of offloaded that, like the, they had the, the best, you know, physiotherapist in the world on speed dial. And it was someone that like they're, you know, have close, strong relationships with Charlie Francis, they had on speed dial, you know, like Carmelo Bosco, Mel, like, you know, all like the best of the best of the best in the world who like, we, we've all like read their books and that Eric and Al had them on speed dial. So rather than like going deep, they had people who had already done that. So if this thing comes up, like, I know one of the top people in the world, I'm just going to seek this person out, you know, and, um, and kind of, you know, and part of it is like, you're putting your trust that like this person has spent, you know, whatever, 10 years, 20 years diving into the research at a level that like, you don't even have time to. So like, they probably know it better than you. Like, I'm just going to go with the thing they say, but I'm, I'm going to piece what they say in a way that fits, you know, overall what, um, what we're doing here, but then kind of back to, you know, the, the way you broke it down, which, you know, I think it was good. And, and it is like in, in hindsight, I think it's, it's how I've approached things. And, you know, I think in some ways it's, it's a strength for me in other ways it's a weakness because sometimes it's, it's like, it's stubbornness, you know, like, like I, I think I've become very big on, um, like, like I'm the type of person where it's like, it's like either we win or we lose. So like, so like, like process is great. Like showing your work is great. But at the end of the day, like, you know, kind of what we're taught in school, like the example I always give, I was that kid where in, in like math class, um, I would get like C's and D's on all my tests, but I would get every answer right. Because for me, it was like showing my work was boring. And it was like, either I get the answer right or I don't. And like in school, it's like, if you don't show work, like that's, that's where you get your points is like showing the work. And I would just like, you know, how can I do this in my head? Or how can I do this with, you know, sort of the fewest steps uh, uh, possible. So you know, I think, I think in, in some ways, in some ways it, it probably hurts me. Um, but you know, to your, to your point, it's like, how can you almost like shortcut to success, so to speak, or, you know, like it, it's even for my career, like I didn't follow the traditional steps. Like I was, I was 24, I was the assistant strength coach for the bulls, which was, you know, the, like, the top assistant position in the NBA. I split track like 50% of the year. It was just me on the road with our guys, like running the program, you know, as a 24 year old. Um, and so I've always kind of shortcut steps that way. And I think it is to your point of like really, um, you know, leaning in on your strengths. And that's something that, that, that I learned very early on. And I, I remember one of our lead assistant coaches with the bulls, Ron Adams, who's, he's been with the Warriors now through like all their championship runs. He's, you know, one of the best, if not the best assistant coach in the NBA. I remember him working with um, like Derek Rose early in his career and some other people. 
And I remember him having the conversation where like, they were like, you know, I, I got to work on this because it's my weakness. And he just pulled them aside. He was like, why are you going to work on the things that like, didn't get you here? Like, there's things that separate you, like, like your weaknesses just have to be good enough that just like, you know, whatever, but like, let's double down on your strengths. Let's the things that separate you, let's turn them from strengths to superpowers. Let's, you know, make it, you know, take you on kind of a whole nother level. And so, you know, I think it was even that, you know, kind of piece of advice early in my career, it was like, you know, directed towards basketball, but then now I've seen it, you know, throughout, and I've seen it now, even in this, this startup world is like, you know, like operations, for instance, like building, you know, processes and all that. I learned how to do it because I needed to, but like, I don't enjoy it. It doesn't necessarily come naturally to me. It's not, you know, I can fill that void, but I'm going to be better off finding amazing people who are incredible at that and love to do it and then just empower them so that I can focus, you know, over here on some of the things that, you know, are more so, um, quote unquote, my superpowers or can become that. Dive into a little bit more than that. At 24, you're the assistant strength coach for the Bulls, and now you're doing something completely different. What was perceived as probably a dream job going up, and now you're doing Mm -hmm. something that might be more fulfilling, more empowering, impacting more people. Tell me about that transition, where you're at now, how your thoughts and emotions and feelings were going through that, and what success you've had with it. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, I think like in, in that, in that early stage, you know, like I was talking about the, um, kind of the, I guess the, um, what I like, I guess declaration I made. So when I was in, and one of the stories I always like to tell is, is like when I was in third grade, I had a, um, my, my third grade teacher had us, um, do this assignment where, you write a letter to yourself 15 years in the future, like, where will you be? Um, What will you be doing? And like, I have no idea how she did it, but 15 years later, um, I actually got that letter in the mail. And I got it as I had just started my internship with the Bulls. So I'm, you know, whatever, 20, 22. um, And the letter is like little chicken scratch and like a terrible kind of drawing. Um, And it just said, I will be the starting point guard for the Chicago Bulls. Um, and so, you know, again, that was that was kind of my full circle moment of, you know, I wasn't playing for them, but that really was my dream. And in between that time, as I started down the path, like in college, the declaration I kind of had in my in my head was by the time I'm 35, I'll be you know, head MBA or high major division one college basketball strength coach. I'm 22, even as an intern, like that was my dream. Like I'm good. I'm, you know, um, but then, you know, fast forward 24 is when I took over as the assistant. So right then and there, it was like, you know, if, if all I'm setting the bar for is to be, you know, a head MBA or whatever, like I've set the bar way too, like, like I'm already there, you know, um, I'm already beyond there. Like this, you know, to me, this is like, this is the ultimate, this is my dream. Um, so it led me down a path of like, what's bigger, what, you know, like, how could I, how could I do more? How could I have a bigger sort of influence and impact? Um, and, and that led me down this path of, um, 
high performance director. So this is like still when I was with the Bulls. Um, so this, you know, late, late 2000s this is like, oh, nine, 10 around that time. It was like, you know, I'm going to be the high performance director one day for an NBA team. And, and at the time, um, that role didn't exist in, in the U S like you saw it in Europe and Australia, but in the U S is in fact, like I would tell people this, they're like, Josh, what is like, like people, and they didn't know what it was. Um, and, um, and so then, you know, fast forward when I was 27 and again, this is all about, you know, planting seeds and the power of relationships, you know, I'd worked for that, that season between when I was an intern and I came back as the assistant, I had worked for Mike Boyle in Boston for nine months. Again, the reason I got that when I applied for the job and I, and I, I'd moved to Boston, I show up to, for my interview with Mike he's coaching a group of, of pro guys. I'm like, I'm nervous. It's Mike Boyle. I'm nervous. I, you know, I got my shirt and tie. I got my like leather bound, you know, little notebook with my resume. He pops over real quick in between tr- coaching guys. He, he like asked, you know, for my, he's like, do you have a copy of your resume real quick? He looks, he flips to the back page. He was like, Josh, you have, you have six references on here. Five of them I know very well. The sixth one I don't. The sixth one was Cal Dietz. He didn't. They didn't know each other yet at the time. He was like, he was like, the sixth one's Cal. I don't really know Cal, but like, like, like I admire Cal. He was like, I don't need to interview you. You can start on Monday. Bob, like Bob, his co-owner. He was like, Bob will talk you through all the details. Um, but so even that, like, that all came from planting those seeds and those relationships. But then, anyways, you know, so I worked for him eight, nine months, but this is three years ago, out of the blue, Mike calls me. He's like, Hey, you know, I don't know where you're at, but I just recommend you for, um, the, the direct director position with Purdue basketball. He's like, here's, you know, uh, uh, if you're interested, follow up. So it was like, even how I ended up there again was, you know, that power of kind of relationships and, and planting seeds. So now I'm, I'm 27 um, you know, director at Purdue and believe it or not, they really didn't have a program before I got there. Um, it was, you know, it was pretty archaic. It was just like, if guys wanted to, to lift, like there was a weight room, they can come in and lift. If they didn't, they basically didn't have to in the summers, they all went home. Like nobody stayed there. Um, and so it gave me the opportunity to build something from the ground up and, in doing that, it gave me the opportunity to kind of scratch that itch of, you know, sort of being a high performance director because, you know, by, I think it was like my second year there, we were already using GPS. Like we we're the first team in, in college basketball, one of the first, along with like there were two or three NBA teams at the time using, G, you know, so we we're doing that. We we're, you know, using force plates and um, jump mats and, and electronic timing gates for every, you know, like all of our training was like, was testing essentially, you know, everything that we did, you know, and so, you know, and then we're doing fatigue screens and wellness questionnaires and, you know, kind of how we're approaching recovery. And like, I mean, I mean, like we're the first team to have Normatex, like we had Normatex my first year, as soon as we got, you know, like all this stuff, but anyways, it allowed me to kind of scratch that itch a, a bit. So then it was like, well, high performance director is, is too small. Like, you know, like what's, what's bigger than that. Um, and for me, it was like, well, you know, I want to, I want to be involved in the, um, not just building out the model for 
kind of player development and not even just physically, but like how the players learn, how we coach them, how we give them feedback, how we like show film, you know, uh, how we challenge them to problem solve all these things, mental performance. Um, but then it was like, but then I want to be involved in like talent ID, you know, identifying the like quote unquote diamonds in the rough who if they go anywhere else, they might not make it, but because they come to us in our environment that what we've built, you know, blah, 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 they can, you know, sort of become a star, you know, that type of thing, like fascinated me um, from my time with the bulls really being heavily involved in the, in the draft process. Um, And so that led me down this path of like, you know, first describing that role to people where there are people like that, that doesn't exist. But then kind of realizing, I'm like, well, really, that's like at a minimum, it's one step away from being the GM. So then it was like, well, why couldn't I just be the GM uh, of an NBA team? But it was the same thing. Like, now, how do you get there? Like, like, because I can't just walk out the door from being a strength coach and like, here I am, I'm going to be the GM of the Bulls, you know? Right. Um, and so I did the same thing I'd done early in my career. And I studied the people who've been successful, who I admire. And what was their path? What have they done? And so, um, you know, two of the people I looked at in particular was Bob Myers with the Warriors and then really Theo Epstein with the Cubs and, you know, Red Sox before that. Um, and both of them had their JD. And like Theo in particular, his his path, his journey is relatively non-remarkable. Like he, again, he, you know, early, early in his career, like through college, he used his network, he leveraged his network, he built relationships, he opened doors, he took advantage of opportunities, he busted his ass. You know, one thing led to another, all of a sudden he's this entry-level operations role with the Padres. Um, and then he started in his mid-20s, he started going to law school at night. So then he goes to law school, you know, I think it took him four years, gets his JD. Year later, he's like the VP of the Padres. A year after that, he's the GM of the Red Sox. He's 29, you know? And so that was the thing I looked at. I'm like, well, you know, the, the thing right there, it, like, it's nothing, it's nothing crazy, you know? Like, it's just, he worked his ass off. He built relationships. He, you know, but he did go to law school. And so that was, that was my thing. And it was, it was like late, late September, my last season at Purdue. And I was like, well, you know, if I'm going to go to law school next year, December 2nd is when I have to take the LSAT. So I literally went to Barnes and Noble that day. I still didn't even know if I was going to go to law school. I was like, I can't go to law school if I don't take the LSAT. And I can't take the LSAT if I don't like, you know, buy an LSAT book and study for it. Um, And so I started, I ended up getting the book registered for the LSAT like later that week and, and I spent two months and, and just studied everybody was like I talked to some of my friends that you know are lawyers or were in law school I was like you know is two months enough time they're like absolutely not I was like well like I don't have a choice like I like it has to be um and so I just I, I kind of every waking moment I was just doing that by that time our program ran itself my my assistant that year Toby Edwards he's a was a PhD candidate actually like, you know, he, he was doing a bunch to help me and whatever, but kind of that same thing you talked about. It was like, I turned it all the way up that dial mm-hmm. for prepping for law school. And like, we were such a player led culture and team by that point that like the boys ran it themselves. I had so much help around me, you know, so they ran it. And so it allowed me to, to kind of really shift that focus. Um, anyways, ended up 
took the LSAT, started applying to law schools. I had seven different law schools um, that that I'd gotten accepted to, and and I had it worked out through again my relationships where um, whatever city I ended up going, I was going to be able to work in some capacity in the front office for that NBA team or like a few places um, with with an agency. And, and so I was like kind of figuring that out. That was my path. And then out of nowhere, I got an email and, and started getting recruited for this opportunity with with Future um, from, it was our, our founding COO at the time. It was just kind of talked about, you know, our founding team, like he, our founding COO was the first employee at DoorDash, which at the time, this is 2018. It meant nothing to me being in Indiana. I was like, I have no idea what DoorDash is. Right. It turns out today, DoorDash is like an $80 billion company. And, you know, he's the first employee there um, and ran ops from the time, basically, you know, like they were in the garage to where they had like, you know, 50,000 employees. Um, and our CEO was an astrophysicist by trip, like worked for NASA, worked, reported directly to, to the co-founder of Google, Sergey. Um, started his own company that got acquired by Postmates, then was a venture capitalist, and now is you know starting this company. And then our CTO was part of the um, the top secret twenty uh, person team inside of Apple that built the first ever iPhone. So it was you know twenty people, including Steve Jobs. Nobody else in Apple even knew that this was being worked on. He was one of those twenty people, and then he invented FaceTime and iMessage. So I get this email describing the team, describing like, you know, what the sort of vision for the company is. And my first thought was like, okay, if I respond to this, then they're going to ask for like my, you know, like my bank account or, you know, something like this kind of like one of those is just like too good to be true. Right. Um, but the, you know, I think the timing of it was, was kind of perfect for me of like, I was ready for that next step in, in my journey. Um, and so like I'd done a lot before, like, you know, I said yes to just having a phone call, like, you know, what's, what's the worst that could happen. And, um, you know, that ended up leading to about two months of getting to know my co-founders, um, getting to know, you know, what the, what the vision was and what my role would, would be within it. Um, and, and kind of, quickly realizing like everything that I thought that I was going to get out of law school, this opportunity is basically that on steroids. And even like, once again, my, my sort of vision of like, as crazy as it was of, you know, going and being a GM, it's like, well, that's so small compared to what this is. Cause this, you know, one day when we're successful, will have literally helped millions of people live healthier lives, live longer lives, you know, and, and change the world by bringing, you know, preventative healthcare is like, this is, this is the opportunity in front of us. Um, and so that's, that's ended up, you know, what kind of led me to, again, just like take this, cause at the time it's, you know, eight people in a little basement, you know, it was like um, the, you know, it's in any startup you join is, incredibly risky, but it was, you know, and everyone advised me too, had told me, they're like, you know, 100%, you have to expect that in one year, this will fail. Not maybe, not if, not it could, it will 100%. And they were all telling me too, they're like, with that, you have to do it. 
Cause in one year you'll grow five years professionally, you know, and again, the relationships, all the relationships you'll build, the doors that it can open up um, and, and the opportunity. And then for me, you know, is an opportunity to, to really build, um, to build something and to architect a, a team, especially on the coaching side. Um, so it's, yeah, it's kind of one of those things like, you know, I never would have, you know, as, as I think as crazy as some of my like visions and ambitions were, this was one like, I, you know, I never could have, um, I never could have, of, of, you know, come up with in my, in my mind. I don't think not at the time. You've made a lot of decisions in your life that were, they had huge impact. You moved across the country, you started something mm-hmm. new, you left great opportunities. What has led you to trust in yourself that this was the best decision to make for you at each of those points? Yeah. Um, you know, honestly, I think it's just been at every step along the way has been strength and counsel. You know, ultimately I've, I've made the bet on myself. Um, but I've only done it, um, through, you know, lots of, lots of conversations, lots of, you know, different perspectives to inform my decision, to inform every aspect, um, of my decision with, you know, with each of these things going back from, you know, like the, the story I told where I was like, you know, I worked so hard to get into the kinesiology program at, at Wisconsin. And then, you know, my, my professor, who's my mentor, who I look up to, I like, I love tells me I need to transfer like before I'd even started the program. And, um, you know, so I talked to him for hours and hours, but then I talked to other people. I talked to, you know, at the time my circle was a bit more, it was like, you know, some of my family and, and, you know, my boss at the YMCA and like, you know, some friends that, you know, and like, but anyways, you know, I, I sought out different perspectives and, you know, kind of out of that made, you know, cause you're ultimately you're making a bet every single time, you know? So it's just like, um, like you don't know, but you're trying to, you're trying to, um, stack the odds as much in, as possible in your favor of, of, you know, the, the probabilities and the decision that you make. Um, and so, you know, I think it was, it was no different when, and even going to Purdue, like, like I did not want to go to Purdue at all. Like, I, I don't even know if I've told Mike this before. The only reason I took that interview to begin with was out of respect for Mike. Like right. the fact that he put me up for that, but like the bulls was my dream job, man. And like, mm-hmm. we're, we're the best team in the NBA that year. Derek Rhodes won MVP that year. Um, we should have won the championship. I'm still, you know, a little bitter about that but like i'm living downtown chicago like best record in the nba like living the life the last thing i want to do is go from chicago to like you know the cornfields of indiana was what how i you know i'm 27 you know so there's definitely some immaturity there um but it was like you know ultimately you know mike and then especially eric like pushing me out the door and so that was one where it was like you know, I, I kind of left the bulls kicking and screaming almost like I didn't want to go. Um, but I, but ultimately I trusted that they knew what was best for me, you know, and they led me down that path. And then, you know, where I think it, it really came in the most was, you know, when I ultimately made the decision, even, even figuring out if law school was right, you know, I had a really strong 
council of, of people throughout the NBA and people I could call on that, you know, actually were advising me both ways of, of whether I even needed to do that or not to become a GM. Um, and, and so when this thing came up with future, I had some of those people, it was, it was, you know, relationships with people high level in the NBA that, that I was talking to. And I was trying to understand like, well, you know, if this didn't work out, you know, how much, how much would it change kind of my sort of personal brand and the opportunity to like, if I still wanted to be a GM, you know, would it, would it move me closer? Um, and then through again, relationships I'd built, like just some of my, who became some of my closest friends, people I met in Chicago that had nothing to do with the Bulls in the years since um, actually one of them, uh, Travis Kling, he's like, one of the top like uh crypto experts in the world right now and he it was funny because he was leaving at the time um a hedge fund in new york that the show billions is based on so he's basically like you know in his early 30s like you're not supposed to be in that job in the finance industry in your early 30s and he's just crushing and he's getting ready to to leave it all to start a $50 million crypto fund that like, he doesn't know if it's going to work or not. And everyone in the financial industry is like, you're an idiot. What are you doing? But anyways, this is someone that, you know, I'd become good friends with during my time in Chicago. So he's advising me on the decision. One of my other friends um, from Chicago would become, he was someone interesting. He was in finance like forever in Chicago for several years, really high up. And he was like, he wanted to get in tech. And so he just moved to San Francisco without a job. He did not have the qualifications for these different tech jobs. So he's like, if I don't just like put it on my resume, even though I don't, I haven't done these things, I don't know these things, I won't get a job. So he literally like basically more or less lied on his resume because his thing was like, if I just get in the door, I'll figure it all out. And now he's like, I mean, he's like off the, he's, the company he's with, they're basically grooming him to be their next CFO. Um, and then, and then one of my other close friends from college um, teaches a course on startups at NYU and advises executives who are joining, you know, startups. So like I had people like that who, you know, I was talking to and they were able to direct me on like asking the right questions and evaluating the decision. And then I had, you know, Eric, you know, my boss from the Bulls and, mm-hmm. and people like that. And so I was able to get the perspective. Like I had people telling me like, what the, you know, what the heck are you doing? Like, you know, don't, this makes no sense. Like, you know, and then, but then I had them like telling me, you know, and, and kind of pushing. Um, and ultimately everyone said too, they're like, you know, at the end of the day, nobody can make this decision for you, but there's strength in the power of counsel. There's strength in you know, seeking and, and like listening, you're like, don't just, don't just keep seeking out opinions until you get someone that tells you what you want to hear. Like that's right. not counsel, you know, except, and then like, I would, you know, somebody that was telling me I shouldn't do it. I would take in what they said. And then I, and then I would pose those questions to some of the people that were telling me I should do it. And they'd mm-hmm. be like, yeah, you know, that's something, you know, and, and, um, it just, it just helped, um, you know, kind of ultimately inform that decision. And, you know, um, but it's, again, it was, you know, rooted in, uh, rooted in strong relationships, you know, along along the way. 
every episode that I have a guest on, I really try to figure out what makes them special, what makes them different, what makes them unique. Like, how did they have all the success? Your story obviously speaks for itself. One little thing that I don't think is a little thing that I noticed, I think it was on your LinkedIn. It was Mm -hmm. uh, under Purdue basketball, the first line, 99.8% player availability rate over seven seasons. And Mm -hmm. I think the fact that you put that first or whoever manages that account for you put that first shows that you understand whether you're talking to a coach, a parent, an athlete, or an organization, like availability for a player is the most important mm-hmm. thing. And like, oh yeah, all the success we've had, the you know the NCAA tournament runs, the championships, the wins, like none of that happens if the athletes aren't first of all healthy, but also yeah. happy and want to be there too. So the fact that you acknowledge that um, in this day and age where so much mm-hmm. importance is put on winning championship stats yeah i think that's a really small detail that says the world about you your process all the success that you've succeeded Mm -hmm. with um we could go on for hours here but just (laughs) give our listeners I, i i really like your story and i think there's a lot to take from it especially for younger coaches when they hear about you know being an intern like get your foot in the door like Mm-hmm. one of your friends lied on his resume probably not the best thing to do but right, if you, right, right. you just got to figure out a way he, to get in the by door the way, by the way he yeah. was uh i mean literally so he would be in and then he was the one i actually lived with him the first three months i was in san francisco he he let me crash um with him so he was like breaking down a lot of the problems i was going through and trying to solve he was breaking down but he when he got in there and and i think this is the lesson to take was he'd be in a meeting or whatever and they'd be throwing around all these different terms and things that he didn't yet know. He'd be, you know, he'd, he'd take the notes of like anything he didn't know. And then as soon as he left that meeting and when he got home, he'd be on like, you know, he'd be on YouTube searching like educational videos on that topic. He'd, he'd search Amazon to find books on, he'd order those books right away and he'd divide. And then like by the next week when they had that meeting again, he'd read two books on the topic and he'd like, you know, so it's like, there's also a reason why he was able to, right. you know, but I think that's, that's kind of the lesson there too, is just, is just, you know, being, being resourceful, being able to like the power of, of, I don't know, but I don't know yet. And I'll find out. That's the same thing that you did where you saw opportunities and you kicked doors or you kept coming back and back to get those mm-hmm. opportunities and then you found a way to exceed the expectation, provide immense value, and just build off of that. And that's the way to do it. It's not just, oh, can I fill this role and do as little as possible? It's how can <laughs> I exceed the expectations, even mm-hmm. if I'm an intern, even if I'm a wash of basketball player, even if yeah. I'm starting a new company that I have no yeah. idea how it's going to do, yeah. let me give it my all yeah. and see what happens yeah. and not yeah. be afraid of yeah of the outcome that was um yeah and that was something like you know when 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 i was an intern with the bulls one of the things that i did was every single day i approached every single day as though today is my job interview so because in my mind one day they were going to hire me but even if they didn't even if for some reason like you know that position didn't open up for 10 years um, they were going to get me a job somewhere else, but, but, but nothing I had done the day before or the months before mattered only today mattered. 
And so I approach every every day in that way. And everything that they asked me to do, because especially in that setting, like, yeah, like you're doing stuff in the weight room, but then like we have practice. So they'd, they'd ask me to, you know, be one of the people that stood under the basket and mopped the floor, like when guys drip sweat, you know, and, and oftentimes you're like, oh, that's, you know, that's beneath me or whatever. Like, I didn't come here to do this. Right. My thing was like, like, man, I'm, I'm going to be the best, like squeegee mopper, like the NBA has ever known. Like I took so much pride in it. They, they put me on, on the, um, on the clock for, for practices. It was Scott Skiles was our coach at the time. And, and Scott Skiles was like, yeah, I mean, I was intimidated as hell by Scott Skiles, but, um, and, and nobody, nobody wanted to run the clock in our organization. It was like, you didn't want to do it. Cause it, it like, it was just, I mean, it was a nightmare, but I took it and I was like, I'm going to run the clock and learn how to do it. So that like, I could be at the United center running it for game seven of the NBA finals and I'm like on point, you know, and, and like, I got to that point, we we would have practices where, cause like, I didn't necessarily love running the clock. So I, you know, the days where I was like, I, I could kind of get out of it. Scott Skiles would stop the second he realized I wasn't at the clock, he would stop practice. And he was like, somebody go find Josh. Like we can't, we can't practice until Josh is on the clock. You know, it was like part of you, you're like, oh man, like I don't, but you know, what that led to is like, you know, I'm, I'm low, lowest of the low of the totem pole. Scott Skiles probably didn't even know any other intern's name that came along during his time. Or if he did, he didn't remember him. He like on my last day, he made a point to come down and find me before he took off, pulled me aside, you know, thanked me for everything. He gave me a card with a bunch of like his own money. He wrote me a check just like thanking me. And, you know, became someone where it's like, if I ever need anything to this day, and I haven't talked to Scott in years, but if I ever need anything, he would go out of his way uh, to, to help me, you know? Um, so it's just, you know, th- things like that is like everywhere you go, especially as a young coach, you never know, like everyone you come in contact with can either, they can either really, really help you or they can really, really hurt you. You know, and, and, and I think a lot of times you come into an opportunity, maybe it's with a, with a college and you're like, you know, so maybe you bust your butt for the strength coach that you're working for, but then it's like, what about, you know, the equipment uh, manager or what about the compliance director or what about, you know, like go out of your way, go above and beyond for all these people, because then one day you might be applying for a job and it's not going to be the strength coach that knows them, the equipment manager somehow knows the assistant AD there, you know, like, it's just things like that, you know, it's just like, and I think it's, you know, again, it comes to relationships and and how you treat people. Um, But, you know, you learn a lot about someone and someone's character. Also, like, how you treat people that, um, you know, couldn't necessarily ever do anything for you. Right. Because it's funny, like a lot of those people you end up finding out, actually, they can help you quite a lot, you know, Mm -hmm. and, but you, you know, you have these kind of preconceived notions. So. I I agree with you a hundred percent. And if you, you want to be like a young strength coach and you're listening to this, like, you know, wiping the floor doesn't matter. The clock doesn't matter. If a Derek Rose or a LeBron James or whoever you want to train with, looks at a coach be like, Hey, which, which coach should I work with today? Are they going to take the one 
who did the clock well and you know showed up on time showed mm-hmm. up early stayed late or are they gonna show like are they gonna look at the one who they don't know their name they don't know if they're ever on time you know right. those little things build off each other so much and you have to start somewhere you have to start whether it's an intern whether it's your first job whether it's mm-hmm. just starting like all of these things like you're starting from zero and you found a great way to build to build quickly but also to bring people with you and that's the most right. important thing like this yeah, journey exactly. you we get so self-centered sometimes but this journey the more people we can bring with the better experience mm-hmm. you are going to have and everyone else like the bigger effect you're going to have too you're not sitting mm-hmm. in the small little gym in what no offense wisconsin but in minnesota <laughs> right, or wisconsin right, or indiana right, 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 you are right. now you're trying to globally have a positive effect on people's health, fitness, wellness, sports performance. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate mm-hmm. you taking time, jumping on the podcast. This story resonates along with me in the success and failures that I've had in my life. And I really appreciate you taking time sharing your story with us, Josh. No, of course. It was, it was a blast. I appreciate you having me on. <laughs>